Hello, everyone, and welcome to another ADRA Canada Insider. We're really glad that you've joined us today for another episode of our podcast. At our table today, we have with us two of our regulars. Michael. And Heather. There we go. <laughs> I really appreciate them uh, co-hosting this podcast with me. And uh, our guest today is from our emergency department at ADRA Canada. Who do we have with us here? Anita. Now say your whole name. Anita Mwanguzi Odondi. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and, and what is your title position with ADRA? Emergency Programs Director. And maybe just to help the, our listeners know a little bit about you, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your life story. What's your background? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? How did you end up in Canada? Yeah, well, thank you for specifying the questions because whenever someone asks me my life story, I really don't know what to say. I'm from Uganda, born and raised in Kampala, the capital. Our home is um, just seven kilometers from the capital, near Lake Victoria, okay. which is the third largest lake in the world, mm. is it? Mm. Let yeah. me do, Google do, that. Yeah, Google, Google it. Google yeah. going to check. Yeah, and then... Uh, how did I come to Canada? How did you come to work with ADRA? Or, yeah, okay. in, in the, the field of development. In the mm -hmm. field of humanitarian aid and development. Sure, yeah. uh, so I went to school in Uganda all my years. It is the third largest lake. In the world, thank you. And our home is just a kilometer mm -hmm. or less from the third largest lake in so the world. So you pretty much grew up and on I'm, the beach. Now, is Lake Victoria considered to be the headwaters of the Nile? Is that, do I have that right? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. No. I don't see it connected to the Nile. Maybe it is. I need to check. But Uganda is where the Nile originates. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because I know other East African countries that claim the source of the Nile. But Uganda is the source of the Nile. Okay. And the others, because the, the, the Nile splits into blue and white. Mm -hmm. And so there are some meandering streams that might go to other countries and they think that's the source. They source. make claims <laughs> because of the little small stream that might stretch mm -hmm. a little bit into their country. Yeah. Yes. So I went to do my university after Uganda in Kenya where I met my lovely husband. And after university, before graduation, I had to do my internship in anything. I put in three applications. Put in one was also interestingly a humanitarian agency, an ADRA, and an insurance company, mm. medical <laughs> insurance. And the first one that came was the medical insurance company. Hmm. So I was there for two months and I sold one <laughs> health thing to one uncle. <laughs> so you are clearly a salesperson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I got that message loud and clear, <laughs> and that was it. When I got my commission, it helped to pay back all my transport loan, you know, that I kept borrowing because I wasn't getting income. And after that, by God's grace, at the same time that I was thinking this is not for me, I got the letter from ADRA Uganda oh, accepting me to do my internship. And at ADRA Uganda, they uh, gave me the opportunity to work in all the offices, all the departments. Oh, so you gained experience in every department. Yes, I... Um, got the opportunity to learn. I disappointed some, like in the <laughs> finance department, they had to redo everything that they gave me to do. Um, but programs department, we clicked. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I fell in love with everything. 
and I think I fitted, they appreciated my contribution. And yes. that's how I started. When I did my internship there, I got the opportunity to go to the field to participate in monitoring and evaluation. I remember we, were, we visited some people who were receiving goats, some widows. So we, everything worked well, and I knew that this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So when I graduated, I asked to be taken. They did not have any position, so I requested to be a volunteer, which I did for about six months, and then a position came up, and thankfully they took me up in the programs department and have continued like that since. After graduating, I knew I wanted to do development, but I had done business administration for my first degree. There was a master's in uh, international development that was being offered by Andrews University. I registered immediately. So I was working while um, also doing my master's. And uh, I graduated five years later because it was an on and off campus. uh, I remember that program. In fact, I was attending that program on campus at Adams Ah, University uh, while you guys were doing it in the field. Yes, off campus. And I did have the opportunity of joining one group Mm. for a few days, so I know what it's like to... Which site? I believe it was in Costa Rica. Ah, okay. It was an amazing experience because Mm. we had... Um, colleagues from all ADRA offices sharing experiences on challenges and solutions and just making friends. Mm-hmm. Connections. Yeah. yeah. Lots of marriages came from those yeah. classes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So when I graduated in 2005 with my master's, then my husband, who had done both business administration and nutrition, had double majored um, for our first degree, decided he needed to do his master's as well. And he wanted to do it in public health. Interestingly, those days in Africa, to get an MPH, you needed to be a medical doctor. Mm. Yeah. So the Philippines was offering an MPH for anyone with any kind of first degree. So we went moved to the Philippines. And you worked for ADRA Philippines while you were there? I worked for ADRA Philippines while I was there. Okay. Have you worked for any other ADRA offices before coming to ADRA Canada? Yes. Just before we moved back home, we applied to ADRA Indonesia, and they took both of us Mm. because they had two positions that God had just placed for both our experience and expertise and education. And after Adra Indonesia, uh, we were there for about two years. The cyclone Nagis happened in Myanmar and we were requested Mm -hmm. to go there immediately, which we did and stayed there for one year responding. And that's how I got into emergency. I started my emergency with Indonesia, partly in response to the tsunami, but Mm -hmm. that was like the final projects of the tsunami emergency response and then the nagis happened i got the opportunity to go at the very initial stages if you watch the news those days the myanmar government refused anyone to go to the delta where the disaster had happened in fact coming into myanmar was a challenge for many ngos and going from yangon the capital city to the field It took about two weeks before the first organization got a plane to go into Mm. the field. But when I got the chance to go, I visited a village where, now the numbers keep my mind, but um, it was a fairly large village, and the whole village was now plain sand. Mm. All the houses 
the trees, the coconut trees, the everything had been covered and the people. And they were never dug out, of mm. course. Yeah. So after working in Myanmar for a year, what was your next position? The earthquake in Haiti happened okay. 2010, which was um, another terrible one. How many people died in Haiti, Mr. Google? <laughs> I just had my phone open with Google the whole time. Yeah. So Adra called you up then, yes. to, uh, you and your husband, to go yes, to Haiti. to go to Haiti. And uh, we arrived less than a month between the earthquake and our arrival. And we ended up staying in Haiti for two and a half years. Wow. It was such a life-changing experience. And uh, after Haiti, we got called to Canada. Mm. Yeah. So it's uh, anywhere from 100,000 to 316,000. Died in that earthquake. In the 2010 earthquake. Yeah, the government of Haiti estimated 316,000, but they're not really sure. Mm. It was very bad, and it was in the capital city. Mm -hmm. So I think it must have been about that much. And if you've been to Haiti, there, there's no urban planning. There are houses literally on top of each other. Mm. It must have been that bad. So where did you stay when you arrived? What what kind of accommodation did you have? There was um, a miracle that had happened, I believe. There's a road on a hill that has the Adra office, the Adventist Hospital, and the Adventist University. All around, houses had been destroyed to the ground. Those three were still standing. Wow. wow. Yeah. Even the hospital hmm. was still standing. It, they say it shook, went back and forth, and still stood. Hmm. So those three saved lives after that. There was a camp. One of the biggest camps was at the university stretching into the hospital. I remember Dominican Republic, SES, drove all the way from the Dominican Republic and were making soup every day for the ADRA workers. Mm. Uh, so we had breakfast and lunch from SES. And uh, some people stayed at the office, at the ADRA office, because it's chaos at mm. the beginning. Yeah. And there was a hotel, Auberge de Quebec, which was near the Adra office. That I think had I've also, stayed at that hotel. You've stayed at that yeah. hotel? Yeah, it survived as well, and uh, that's where we stayed. We, had, uh, we started with our office there because the Adra office themselves had been affected emotionally, and there was a lot, many people coming in to help. Yeah. And from there, because of the excellent work that you did there, you were called to the emergency department here yes, in Canada. Yes, by God's grace, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about your life story. And uh, we're glad that you came in today because we want to talk to you about the work that ADRA Canada is doing in responding to emergencies and disasters. Tell us, how does ADRA respond when we hear the news about a disaster? What's the procedure? When um, a disaster happens, a mega disaster happens, because we have uh, three categories of disasters. I'm talking about a mega disaster, like the ones we have uh, talked about. Big cyclones. Yeah. So Big cyclones. Nepal earthquake. Nepal earthquake. The, the tsunami. Yes. Yeah. So those, those would be considered mega disasters. Mega disasters. When a mega disaster happens, God has positioned the Adventist church in such a way that we have Adventist local churches in most areas. Most areas. Uh, most countries of the world. Most countries of the world. Even where... You might not have um, an ADRA office sometimes. So when a mega disaster happens, 
the emergency management unit of ADRA immediately gets in touch with the most local entity through the ADRA office in that country, if there is an ADRA office in that country. And the most local entity most times is the church or even just an Adventist on the ground to check what has happened, um, what can we do, what are the resources available, how can we help. We do have a system where every country that often has disasters, if you read the news every year and follow, there are some countries that always have something happening, like the Philippines, mm -hmm. there's always something. So such countries have what we call a national emergency preparedness and response plan. And in this plan, they already know that we normally get cyclones or earthquakes or floods. And uh, if we get that, most people need the life-saving things. What are the life-saving things? Food, water, mm -hmm. shelter. Mm -hmm. Medical care. Mm -hmm. Hygiene um, and sanitation. Yes. Mm -hmm. So they know that those are the things that they need. And in coordination with other agencies similar to ADRA in that country, they will say, well, ADRA will take care of the water or will take care of the shelter while Red Cross takes care of the food or WFP takes care of the food. And so they have that plan laid out. And so when a disaster happens, there's an automatic immediate response because the money is made available immediately by the church, by the ADRA regional office, and by ADRA international. The money is given to them to go on the ground as soon as possible to provide these things. And these things will be got from pre-stocked items or the nearest village. Because when you do the plan, you also make agreements with various suppliers for the things that you have determined. So we provide food or water or clothing in coordination with other agencies immediately. And while doing that, finding out the other needs and the gaps and what needs to be done simultaneously. So when that is happening, we have an ADRA network call to say these are the actual figures on the ground. We do listen to the news as well, but we don't rely 100% on the news. We rely on our own information on the ground and um, in coordination with the other humanitarian actors. When we know that people have water, but we need to provide housing immediately because it's the monsoon season or there's cold or something, then we focus on that one thing. No one agency can do everything. But if we do not coordinate, then you will find we are um, duplicating resources right. and wasting time and wasting resources as well. So when we coordinate, we decide what we are going to do as ADRA. Sometimes it's divided geographically. Sometimes it's di divided response-wise. Right. Um, depending on what is agreed upon, we focus on that. We put in the money that our donors give us, the money that we have on hand, and make sure that a response happens. And as that second phase response happens, we begin to apply for external funding for example, from the Canadian government. Now, when you say network call, what does that mean? The ADRA network consists of all ADRA offices around the world. So, And, any, and we currently have offices in 135 countries or thereabouts? I thereabouts, think. yes. 
So the call is put to all and whoever has the ability to join that call. So it's not just welcome. the Canadian people that are responding to the latest cyclone in the Philippines. The world. It's the world. <clears throat> it's the ADRA. Joins together. Yeah world that joins together for that second phase that I spoke about and then the f- third phase could be just Adra Canada following up when we get more funding with uh, more sustainable ventures to help people not only save their life their lives initially but begin to get back on the road to recovery so that's where you then approach government for funding for specific responses uh, yes. to help people get back on their feet mm. yeah Now, what about Canada? Does ADRA respond to disasters that happen right here in Canada? Responding in Canada. This is um, a work in progress, and I'm very passionate about it. And I'm praying to God and asking for prayers that it will come to where we want it to be. We are not where we want to be yet in responding to Canada. We do need to be more active in responding in Canada when a disaster happens. Talking about mega disasters again, and for Canada, a mega disaster is the Fort McMurray fire, the fires, the recent fires in BC. High river. High river, flooding. Those are the kinds Mm -hmm. of uh, mega disasters in Canada. Right now, what we are doing is more or less reacting to when a disaster happens. We go in. And God has been uh, faithful and blessed our efforts together with the church and the conference and the people on the ground to respond and have a, a substantial impact in helping the people in need. Where I would like us to be is to be able to plan. Mm. You remember what I told you about what we do internationally? Mm-hmm. We need to be able to plan at conference level because we know what kinds of disasters often happen in our regions. We need to plan for it. We need to do simulations. We need to have key people in key places. We need to have contacts with different suppliers and have agreements with them. And we need to be part of the province disaster response system and coordination. When we have that in place and we are working towards that, then we will be able to respond accordingly, be more effective and efficient, and give Adventists in those provinces an opportunity to participate in saving lives and um, helping those in need. Well, that sounds wonderful. I'm glad you're working on those plans for Canada. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we don't even think uh, too much about Canada having a major disaster, like an earthquake or a tsunami or anything like that. But we know that it can happen in uh, the Vancouver area, especially is Mm. is, uh, very susceptible or vulnerable to a a major earthquake. And in Canada, we might not have a lot of uh, poor people in terms of standard of poverty, or when a disaster happens, the government is always good and faithful to provide financial assistance and material assistance. Canadians are givers. They will provide the in-kind assistance, but the emotional distress Mm -hmm. and just the distress of being disorganized, and that's where ADRA and the Adventist Church can come in. Things like counseling, or is that yes, what you're talking about? Yes, yeah, things like counseling, but also putting an effective and efficient system mm-hmm. for the for these things that have been provided by Canadians and the government to reach everyone. Right. Yeah. 
as per need because so. there's so much chaos when there's a disaster. Oh, so yeah. much chaos. Yes. In the, the last podcast, we were talking about the, the response in Fort McMurray and, and Heather and I were mentioning how we were both out there near the beginning of mm. that disaster. Mm-hmm. And that was, I believe, Heather's first time with a disaster, my first time with a disaster. And we both realized just how, how stressful, how, stressful yeah. how, how chaotic it can be. <laughs> and so we both came out of that with a, uh, a, a very deep respect for the work that you do. But so. you both did very well. Well, thank you. Yes, by the grace of God. (laughs) Prayers of colleagues. (laughs) But that's something that since working with you, Anita, has stood out to me about emergency response, the necessity and the importance of planning Mm -hmm. in advance, which isn't exactly intuitive because we often think, you know, I know I did before I worked at ADRA, you wait until there's a disaster and then Mm. you respond. But how much better it is when you look at areas and you can say, okay, we know this kind of disaster is likely to happen Mm. there and plan in advance. And it's so much Mm. better when you have those plans And less stressful for everyone, everyone, the responders and those receiving the response. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes into the emergency work that Anita and her department do. It isn't just uh, running to the disasters as they happen. Yes. There's a lot of foundational work that is involved before the disasters even happen. Mm-hmm. So what what other uh, sorts of, because we've talked about the megas disasters both in Canada and internationally, what other sorts of disasters do we currently respond to? So the ones we spoke about are the rapid onset natural disasters, but mm-hmm. we have the uh, the protracted ones, the long time ones, the civil wars especially. Okay. That's the most common one we have right now. We also have hunger. Um, there are those that, there's some countries that every year they go through a hunger cycle, a drought, famine. Yeah, those are the others. All right. Yeah. What countries is Adra Canada involved in for responding to these types of disasters? The protracted ones? The protracted ones, yeah. When we get money, we do something. When we don't have money, we are not there. But we have been involved in the Syria crisis, both in Syria, in Iraq, and in Lebanon. We have been involved in the crisis with the South Sudan refugees in Uganda. We have been involved with the crisis of the Burundi refugees that went on for some time in um, Rwanda. And we have been always involved in the Kenya drought crisis and Niger when we could. And then also with the Rohingya crisis in Bangladesh. Is that something we're currently involved um, in? That is something we are involved in as part of the network where we put funds together in a port as ADRA officers and have a bigger response. So we are doing that for the Rohingya. And I'm not sure whether it's Rohingya or Rohingya. I've heard both. I need Um, to go there to check. Yeah. Yeah. Go ask them yourself. Yes. (laughs) Usually I hear Rohingya when I hear it on the news. Yeah, I hear Rohingya. But but I have also heard Rohingya. Zebra. Zebra? Zebra. Yeah. It's zebra. <laughs> yes, that's something, you, that's something you were getting on my case about while yes, we were in Uganda. Yeah. You can't say zebra. Yeah. I'm almost inclined Because you don't to... have the animal in North America. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I, I'm inclined to go with the pronunciation of those who live with the animal. Right. Thank but you, I can't Heather. promise to always remember to say yes. zebra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Am I saying elephant correctly? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> 
It, that's a question yeah. when I do presentations, let's say, to pathfinders or to schools. I talk about the two different kinds of emergencies. You know, mm. there's the uh, the sudden disaster, and they know how to answer that one. Yes. And then I say, what about the chronic ones, mm-hmm. the ones that go on for a long time? And they just kind of look at me and blink a bit. And then after a few minutes, they say, uh, war. I'm like, yes. okay, yes. Yeah, good. Drought. Yes. Mm. Are there any others? Sometimes they throw in there, they still remember the Ebola crisis. Mm. Would uh, an epidemic count mm. as a long-term crisis, do you think? Ebola, I would say, was rapid onset. Mm-hmm. That's it what was, I, yeah. I feel vindicated because that's how I've been answering that yes, question. Yeah, I think, yeah. But Ebola just like, came and, and then cleared people mm-hmm. and then left. Yeah, but yeah. maybe something like HIV, AIDS... Is a long time. But that would be yeah. outside of ADRA's mandate. Well, back in the sort day, of. we back worked in with the that day we did. a lot in the 90s. Yeah, mm-hmm. we but worked. we mostly worked with it as a development one. Mm-hmm. And I worked in an HIV mainstream project for four years. But it's more to work with them to live a positive life mm-hmm. because the end is sure, but how to live a positive life in that that way mm-hmm. yeah i've heard that you have gone back to myanmar several times uh, yes. over the last few years what type of emergency work are you monitoring or visiting there um first i must say it's a bit it was a bittersweet feeling going back to myanmar the sweet side is there's a little more freedom the bitter side is everyone has a cell phone you know the youth are beginning to be like regular youth they are being uh, exposed and having the negative effects of the internet and things like that tradition is dying and uh, from no phone to smartphones high tech you know they never went through all these different phones that we the rest of the world went through they went from no phone when i was there a sim card cost 2500 us dollars wow so no one had a phone mm-hmm. and now everyone has a $3 SIM card. Yes. Yeah, and if I remember, because when I was in Myanmar, I was surprised at the number of people that had smartphones. Yeah. Like, even we visited uh, people who had lost their homes to floods, but they all had their smartphones. They only know smartphones. And it was just, it was kind of a a crazy thing to see. Mm. Uh, But I I had heard that the the government of Myanmar is actually subsidizing the smartphones, and these people are able to buy them for super cheap because uh, the government of Myanmar wants their population to be a technologically advanced Mm. group. So, yeah, they're subsidizing these cell phones for super cheap. And so now everybody has a cell phone. Yeah. So it's not quite the same status symbol as we assume. Like if you see a picture of of a village in Myanmar and you see all the cell phones. Yeah, no, it's... (laughs) It doesn't mean the same thing. Yeah, they're they're buying them for basically nothing. Mm -hmm. And they're not on an $80 a month plan like we are here. Yeah. (laughs) So you saw all those transformations in Myanmar from when you were there before, after the cyclone, and and since you've gone back many times with ADRA Canada. What's some of the work that ADRA Canada has been doing there? ADRA has been working with ADRA Myanmar now for three years in Kachin State and Shan State with internally displaced people. So they are still parts of Myanmar that don't have their peace yet, unfortunately, where we have different groups that are causing civil unrest in the communities. So people are displaced from their homes and they go into safer areas and stay in camps that are mostly put up by churches. 
So we work closely with Kachin Baptist Mission, and this is the Baptist Church. They have camps, set up camps in different parts of those states. So we do provide water, sanitation, and hygiene support in the camps, and we also provide cash assistance. And the cash is depending on the family and the assessment that has been made. Some families receive a one-time cash grant of 50,000 chart, which is about $50, to just help them settle in when they are coming fresh from their displacement to buy pots and pans and a mattress and things like that. We have other organizations that will provide the house or the shelter. And then we also have monthly amounts that are given, about 10 to $20 per family to help with their school tuition, medicine, food, and things like that. So when you say water, sanitation, and hygiene assistance... What does that look like? Like, What would be an yeah. example of each of those? So for drinking water and water to use for domestic, different domestic uses, they'll dig a well mm-hmm. uh, within the camp and uh, we would help to protect that well mm-hmm. and um, provide the raw materials that are needed so that they have water. We'll help them in latrine construction mm-hmm. and um, dislodging of the latrines because the soil is such that you cannot dig a pit, a permanent pit latrine. You'll have to reinforce it with concrete and keep dislodging. So we help with that. And uh, we also provide hygiene education, not Mm -hmm. because people don't know how to be hygienic, but because they have moved out of their normal home environment Mm -hmm. and are now living in a camp with very many people sharing lots of facilities. Mm -hmm. So just to ensure that nothing breaks out that could cause another disaster, Mm -hmm. we provide such information. So it's really important things. Mm. When you made your list of countries, I didn't hear Somalia, but we're working in Somalia as well, aren't we? We are working in Somalia, and that's a war, yeah, another protracted one. What, what, are, what is ADRA Canada doing um, Right now, we have a food assistance project there. We have had previously a water and sanitation and hygiene project that is a success story. I think that project was 2012, and the project was to provide water in a certain community. And the education that was received and the empowerment that was received from the ADRA staff to the water committee empowered them such that they collected money from the community members, from the families that were coming to get the water. And from that money collected on a monthly basis, they bought additional pipes and they ended up providing piped water, something that generations have never seen Mm. Mm. in Somalia. This village now has piped water to the homes, Mm. and they have bought a second tank to provide water to the community. They have boreholes. They started an ice-making production. Somalia is really hot, but they started an ice-making production using the same water, they, pro- they sell ice to the community. That's one of the success projects that have come out of an emergency project. Mm. And do I remember correctly that they also started providing water to refugees in the area as I, well? I believe so. Is that the same? Yeah, okay. I believe so because they have uh, donkeys that come to collect the water. Mm-hmm. I always love hearing stories like that. Makes me it's, so proud to work yes, for ADRA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Anita, thank you so much for sharing with us the work that ADRA Canada is doing in responding to disasters. It's one of the joys, I think, that we all share at uh, ADRA Canada, that we're working at an organization that is 
helping people who are suffering and in need after a disaster. Okay, we've come to that part of our podcast where we ask our guest a, a question. Actually, we have five questions that uh, we've submitted to them to choose from. Anita, don't look so nervous. It's not that bad. <laughs> oh, maybe Anita hasn't read these questions. Well, I'll I read them out now. Yeah, I think <clears throat> And we have now. And, and then, so you read them and then Michael And then I will spins. spin to see which one you have to answer. Yes, okay. we have yeah. a spinner now this nice. uh, time. So the questions are, what was it like for you the first time that you encountered extreme poverty? Or you could talk about uh, travel tips that you have gathered as you have done your extensive world travel. You might uh, have some tips to share. Uh, what is your most bizarre travel experience? What's the favorite place that you've traveled in all your travels? What, what country would you say that you've enjoyed the most? And the last one is... What is your Adra passion? What makes you Pulled get up? the long hours, <laughs> the nights mm. and the weekends. Happily. And the holidays, yes. And the, the pulling out your hair from the stress kind of thing. But with joy. But with yeah. joy. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow, like, Anita. Oh, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but somehow she actually does. Mm -hmm. so. okay. And she's always smiling. Yes. Yeah. If, mm. if anybody knows Anita, they will, they will know her by her smile. I really? Think. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've said that before. Anita has. Yes, and you're the only one person who has said it in all my life. Really? <laughs> yes. But you so, guys agree? I yeah, agree. Sure. Okay, okay well, Anita, I think other people need okay, to start saying people. it. <laughs> her smile and her calmness. Yes. Really? You Amen. work under fire all the time. And, but you are so calm. Amen. And, it's a prayer. It's an inspiration. I think, I think it also might be the, the, the Ugandan heritage. Because yeah, all the Ugandans all I know are, are calm, so right? calm. Yeah. They're so that's calm. Part of so, it, yeah, that's, that's got to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Michael all right. So, we're ready for the spinner. <laughs> okay. So, it uh, landed on first encounter with poverty. Oh. So can you tell okay. us your first encounter that's with poverty? Easy. Um, first encounter with poverty, which I did not know, I guess, was poverty at that time. But my dad took us to my grandmother's house for the holiday. I was, I don't know how old, you know, between maybe seven and ten. And um, there was no electricity. Some of the mattresses were made from grass. We got lots of bites from, I don't know what those were, but I still have lots of scars on my legs mm. up to today. Oh, really? Because that what I did when I um, got the bites, I kept scratching them. Mm. Other than that, I have seen uh, a lot of material poverty mm. Mm -hmm. in all the countries that I have gone, where people have no mattress. They have no earthly possession except wood and uh, a meal a day. But... The interesting thing is there's always something beautiful in these situations. Like at my grandmother's house, you know, we didn't know that was poverty. We would play with all my cousins and uh, find various things to play with, you know. We never had a moment of sadness. And when I visit these people, sometimes I go into their homes just to talk with them and find out what is happening. They are smiling the children are playing outside, you know, so there's always material poverty is not the worst mm -hmm. poverty I have learned. But in my uh, culture, we have a saying that a person who is poor is 
the person who doesn't have family. Can you imagine not having anyone you can call a friend or a family member? That is the worst poverty. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. We've reached that part of our podcast where we're closing up, and it's the question and answer period. And uh, we've looked over our questions. We've got one that I think uh, is going to be great uh, for Anita to help us uh, deal with. Oh, so you're not done yet, Anita. Oh, (laughs) yay. We're not done yet. (laughs) Our question for today is, how can we best help ADRA Canada respond when there's a disaster? What can people do, Anita, to help when there's, they hear of a, a, a big earthquake or a cyclone? How should they respond that would be the best help for ADRA Canada? Take out their checkbook and write ADRA Canada. <laughs> yes, but first is the prayers. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Take out a check, yes, but first is the prayers. Because coordination, first of all, with the organizations, for example, so that if ADRA provides the tank for water, another organization provides the food, Another organization provides the medical care. Another organization helps with the education so that these people who have absolutely no way of getting anything for themselves, not because they are lazy, but because there is no opportunity. The community they have come into is also poor and fighting for the resources that exist. So first is the prayers for for that, for you know, for coordination, for more resources to provide things for the people, and then the money, and then the, the check, money. yeah, so that we can provide these things for the people. And maybe we can now provide tanks and uh, food because we have more money. Mm. Yeah. What about giving even before the disaster happens? That is the that is a great need. When the disaster news hits, it's important that Adra Canada have a good supply of funds already in the bank to yes. respond. Yes, mm-hmm. we need to have that money before in order to send it immediately. Yes, yeah. we can't start asking for money for that then. I know a lot of times what happens is the announcement comes at church. Mm. Adra needs the funds, so they write a check in church. It goes to the treasurer, she processes it, sends it to the conference, and the conference processes that. It goes to the union. Mm-hmm. It may be three months before ADRA sees that right. donation, right? Yeah. And by that time... The disaster is pretty much... Yeah. Yeah. The initial life-saving response The life-saving mm-hmm. response is yeah. done. For a rapid response, yeah. it makes more sense to give directly to ADRA Canada. Yes. And for an even more rapid response to give before there is even... A specific disaster yes. yeah. to give to so that there is that pot mm. available that's ready to be dispersed the moment that it is called yes. upon. That's why our emergency response fund on our website is so important. Yes. Yes. Because People it, should know there's a place right at our website where you can go and if you click on the right button, mm-hmm. your donation can go into the fund. For emergency response. Ready mm. for emergency to happen. Yeah. Yes, and it is helpful if you give it for disaster response, mm-hmm. general. That way we can use it for the next disaster mm-hmm. to save lives. And everyone is your brother and your sister, my brother and my sister, whether or not they are from your country. Mm-hmm. What happens sometimes is when a disaster happens somewhere, people call and they want the money to be specifically for that 
country and sometimes even more specific for a certain region. But if we didn't have people who gave to the disaster pool, Mm-hmm. we would not have saved lives mm-hmm. as soon as the disaster happened. Mm-hmm. Because by the time people call and they want to give money and to go through that process, we have already sent money to the ground. And that money has been sent because people gave to the general disaster pool. In advance. In advance. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't mean that um, you know if you have given to a specific disaster once that disaster has already happened and hit the news and ADRA has asked for your help for that specific disaster, that doesn't mean that your donation didn't go to that disaster Mm. Mm -hmm. or that your donation didn't also save lives. What we're emphasizing here is just that having that emergency response fund for any disaster at any time enables us to act immediately. And then, of course, the response will continue. Yes. And then, you know, the more donations we get to that disaster, the more we're able to do. So they they go hand in hand, but the emergency fund as a general fund is what enables us to act immediately. Yes. So we have different phases. We have the initial life-saving response on day zero, day one, day two. Then we have a second phase of an initial response where we are still providing tents and more water and medicine. Then we have early recovery, maybe three months after the project when things are beginning, cleanup has happened and people maybe need a transitional shelter. Maybe they need a, a latrine that is uh, about three months, three to 12 months. And then after early recovery, we have rehabilitation, and then we have the development when we can provide seeds to the people to grow their own garden again. We provide fishlings for them to be able to fish again. So there are different stages, Mm -hmm. and whichever time the money comes, it can be used. In those different stages. In those different stages. And those stages are ongoing, whether or not the media is still talking about that particular disaster. I think of Typhoon Haiyan as a classic example. It happened in 2013, and we're still working there with people who were affected. I don't know the last time I heard about Typhoon Haiyan in the media, but it has all to do with those different stages, Mm -hmm. um, the different levels of response. Mm. All right. Well, I think we've probably uh, reached the end of our podcast Uh, We want to thank you for joining us. And if you have a question that you'd like us to talk about here on the podcast, uh, please send it in to stayintouch at adra.ca. And if your question is one of the questions that we read on the air, we will send you as our gift the book, Faith to Change the World. And as always, we invite you to go to our podcast webpage to look at photos and uh, maybe some videos of some of the things Anita has shared with us today. And the URL for that is? adra.ca forward slash podcast. Yes, we hope that you'll check that out and that uh, you will join us for our next podcast coming very soon. Thank you, Anita. Thank Thank you, you. Anita. Thank you, Heather, Frank, and Michael. I'm You're thinking, welcome. Don't tell me. I'm thinking how to say thank you in Swahili. Asante sana. Asante sana. <laughs> Asante sana. Anita. Karibu, Heather. Mm-hmm. But in Luganda, Wevale nyo nyabo. Oh boy, that's much harder. Wevale. Wevale nyo nyabo. 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 Yes. The softest B I ever heard. It's like hardly a B. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you guys are good. Mm-hmm.